Welcome to Cinema Chop Shop. Watch. Chop. Retrofit. Well, we're, if we're talking about beers, do you want to start with a beer check-in? Sure. What's the, uh, what beer are you drinking? I'm drinking Landshark. Landshark who? We're going to need a bigger glass. There you go. Welcome to Cinema Chop Shop. This is a movie podcast that records almost bi-weekly when we're on a roll, but this month we're really going to be tryhards. Because it's spooky season. It's spooky season, and traditionally in October we do a theme month, uh-huh. and uh, we're kind of shaking things up a little bit this year. Mm-hmm. Instead of doing horror, we're doing kind of horror-adjacent. Kind of. I think it's still horror movies, but um, give them the... Give them the money shot. What is it? We're doing knockoffs. Knockoffs. We're going to focus each week on an iconic film and discuss the knockoff movies that followed suit in an attempt to cash in on the popularity of the granddaddy. And I think there, there definitely is a commercial aspect to it, but we're also talking about influence. True, um, true. There's, there's movies that influenced so many other movies and... We're trying to get at the core of that. Yep, and we're reeling in a big one today. We're going to be talking about Jaws and Jaws knockoffs. The uh, villain from Doctor No. Yes. No, that's not the right James Moonraker. Bond movie, but Moonraker. Moonraker. Thank you, Thank Richard Keel. What's his anyway? Okay, well, uh, let's talk about who's here. We've got the whole gang. Uh, we've got Joey. Hello. We got Todd. Hello. And we have Travisito. Do you remember a time when you could say gang without it having any connotation? <laughs> like Little Rascals, our gang. Yes, our gang. <laughs> Welcome back, everybody. This is uh, it's been a it's been a hot minute since we saw everyone. Travis, I missed and... you guys. I saw Joey at the a grocery store the other day. Oh, you did? Yeah, we shop at the same food line. Mm. Very good. Speaking of beer, we're going yes. to lead off with a trivia question about Jaws. Okay. In the movie Jaws, mm-hmm. Quint, the uh, yeah. The shark hunter. The hunter. Drinks a can of beer on board. Tell me what the name of that beer is. Is it a real beer? It is a real beer. Okay. I want to say like an old Milwaukee. Nope. Uh, I'm going to guess a Coors Light. Nope. Hmm. I'm going to go for that part of the country, maybe a Sam Adams. You're on the right thought process but sam adams didn't hit until much later uh we're gonna go with rhode island's own narragansett ah and i couldn't get my hands on any but i really wanted to and sometimes you find it around here they've got a couple of like what are they rattlers or something that they sell around here yeah but this was the old original okay so back to uh jaws uh steven spielberg's uh adaptation of peter benchley's novel which I didn't even realize until doing research this week that the movie was based on a film. Or, excuse the movie was based on a book. Um, and the, that Peter Benchley also wrote several other books in the same kind of genre. Yeah, I'll be talking about one of those. So this baby came out in 1975. So uh, uh, Spielberg was still, you know, putting in effort. Sean was just graduating high school. <laughs> I was just graduating high school. <laughs> Uh, no, wait, wait. Uh, only two of us were alive. Yeah. 
In this room, two of us were alive. Yeah. The film was a great success and iconic in that whether or not you've seen Jaws or not, you know the music. Mm-hmm. You know the tropes mm-hmm. because the tropes have been played out in other films that are completely unrelated to big time man-eating sharks. So the film, I think, represents a certain iconography that uh, is unmistakable. Joey, you said that you might be a detractor when it comes to Jaws. Yeah, I I, uh, I know that this is probably going to be a lot of slathering love on the movie, but uh, I've always been kind of anti-Jaws. Uh, I, I, Any particular reason? What's your beef? Okay, I have several. Uh, I think that this isn't so much aimed at the first movie itself, which isn't egregious on this front, but the sequels oh, yeah. really play into something I fucking hate about movies, which is like, fostering fear irrational fear of the natural world and animals that don't fucking behave the way that animals do in real life right you can make that argument about jaws but i I give it a little bit of leeway on that the sequels would have us believe that a shark follows a man to a different cut to a different part of the 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 coastline in order to avenge its mate or some shit like that. And that's stupid. Which one was with Michael Caine? That was jaws three, three. And that one's on like an Island, if not the Bahamas, right? I think there's an under, there's an underwater like tunnel kind of thing because it had the whole 3d deal. Yeah. Like a C lab thing where the, anyway, but we're not talking about the sequels. We're going to talk about the Actual OG, Jaws. the OG, with its very simple storyline. You've got a man who has an irrational fear of the water, yet he's the sheriff in a island town, island town, which is Amity, which is strange. Now, did this come out before or after the original Amityville horror? Uh, it came out before the film, before the movie Amityville horror. Yes, uh, I guess if you had to describe him. By the book. I mean, he's mm-hmm. a nice enough guy, but he's just doing his job. And he is uh, pragmatic in that here's a threat. We need to remove people from said threat. And then City Hall comes in. You've yeah. got the, uh, the, the, the mayor who is extremely uh, against this whole hysteria of a shark. Well, this is it's another, also 4th, this of, is July 4th of July weekend, folks. Well, this is a trope that pops up in these movies. There is oftentimes someone with capitalist interests Absolutely. who wants to deny the problem uh, for monetary reasons. I told Travis last week when, we were, when I was re-watching this, it struck me how similar the mayor's reaction to the threat of the shark reminded me of the early days of COVID and how the, how the government reacted to it's no big deal. Everything's fine. Let's all carry on as normal until it became obvious that we could not. And it was just like, wow, it's truth in advertising. It's, it's life imitating art or vice versa. The pandemic was jaws. Yeah. Holy shit. You guys remember we're like, we're like life selling down our cereal boxes. And then moving on beyond the official, uh, you 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 have the uh, the crusty sea barnacle, who's gonna Quint Quint Quint. He's gonna hunt that shark. He'll 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 do it for you if you hire me. Played by the great Robert Shaw. Robert Shaw, yes. And then uh, then you have the expert, uh, played by uh, Timothy Richard. Busfield. I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, Mr. Holland. Mr. Holland's opus. I, I say Timothy Busfield because he always reminds me of uh, Richard Dreyfus. I don't know who Dim- Timothy Busfield is. You don't remember Timothy Busfield? 
Uh-uh. Think of the uh, the uncle from uh, Field of Dreams that was like making like when the daughter was choking. He's like, "Oh, stop it, kid! You need to be quiet." Anyway, if you build it, I know you will. He was in thirty something anyway. And then, of course, you have the beast, the mindless, man-eating beast that, in depending on how you look at it, is out for revenge. And the sequels, or not? I guess it was dead. It was its progeny. But yeah. But so I uh, want to I want to chime in a little skills. bit on the archetypes. Hit it. Uh, because I think that there's multiple different archetypes that you could ascribe to these different characters. Like, for example, the um, the main character, uh, who, the Chief Brody, um, he's described as the responsible family man, the guy who's maybe irrationally afraid of the water, but uh, wants to protect the town. Uh, you could also call him the hero, right? Then you've got Quint... He's either the hunter or the mentor, right? Right. Because he's wizened. And then you've got... He's Captain Ahab. Uh, Very much so, yeah. Richard Dreyfuss' character, Matt Hooper, is, according to this, a shapeshifter. A shapeshifter? A shapeshifter, because Hooper is a marine biologist <laughs> and shark expert who comes to Amity Island to assist in dealing with the shark. He represents the archetype of the shapeshifter because his character is multifaceted. Initially, he seems like a bookish scientist, but he later reveals himself to be brave and resourceful as he joins Brody in confronting the shark. My favorite part of this movie is the camaraderie that get that builds between those three guys out on the ocean when they get yeah. drunk and start yeah. singing. Yep. My and my bigger beef with the movie, other than my rant that I had earlier, is that until they get out into the ocean. The movie's fucking dull. Like, yeah. I understand that Jaws is iconic and all that. And y'all can at me if you don't want to, you know, if you want to take me to, to, to count on this. But the movie itself, it's Jay Richard Poole, actually. Mm. Uh, the, uh, the movie itself is fucking boring until they all get out to sea. And that sequence is fucking amazing. It is really good. But I will agree with you on that because there is a lot of setup that has mm-hmm. to take place. Now, I like the opening scene a lot. I, I think uh, hippie party on the beach. Yeah, yeah. gets naked, runs I mean, into the ocean. One thing He's I did. Like, hey, I'm drunk. One thing I did here. appreciate that, that that was depicted was that the fact that the shark didn't care how young your kid was. Ooh, the dog. He didn't care about a dog. He didn't care if you're a sharks kid. Sharks don't care. The sharks don't care, and, and the sharks are going to go get you. But enough about the movie. I think the, the movie Jaws, Jaws itself. Enough about it. All right. Unless you got something else to say. Hey man, knock it off. <laughs> Let's knock it off. So knockoffs. They started hitting pretty quickly thereafter. Um, I think that. There was a TV movie called Shark Kill in 1976 that kind of started the whole domino effect. Uh, there was a movie called Dogs. Ants, Dogs? Yeah. <laughs> Ants. Crocodile. Uh, the They're not D- even being clever. They're just saying the name of the <laughs> yeah. animal. I know, right? Yeah. But in 1977, the movie, the uh, knockoffs really started hitting. That's when you had The Deep, Orca, uh, The Car, which I talked to you about earlier in the week, uh, just a couple of days ago. It's about a fucking killing car that does exactly what Jaws did. Very interesting that you bring that up, though, because uh, Steven Spielberg's previous film was... The Duel. Uh, Duel, Duel yeah. which was somebody being... Uh, basically <coughs> haunted or tracked by a trucker, a, a faceless trucker. Yes. Uh, Snow Beast in 77. We had Grizzly in Grizzly. 76. Mm-hmm. There was a film that came out of Brazil called Bacalao. Hmm. What does that mean? I don't know, but 
it's pretty awesome because their shitty jaws look like one of those old fashioned fishing lures with the giant painted eyes (laughs) on the side. Nice. Um, they even use plastic skeletons floating in the water to represent people who had been killed by this beast. <laughs> That's awesome. Corman did his own version, Up from the Depths, in 79. Yeah, he, he's involved depths. in one of the ones that I'm going to talk about good. Later, too. Uh, every manner of beast that you could imagine being a, a, a killing machine hit it. Uh, the last shark came out in 81 that was blocked by Universal because it was such a complete ripoff that they were able to prove it and stop its distribution. Uh, before the show, I was commenting that Mario Bava's son, Lamberto Bava, made a film called Devilfish in 1984. Devilfish. There is a series of movies uh, called uh, The Last Shark, Deep Jaws, and Cruel Shark, all three of which use the exact same footage of an explosion Oh, I've the, got one that does this movies. as well, and it's not one of those three. So, uh, As a matter of fact, Cruel Shark came out in 95, and Hulk Hogan was in it. And the Hulkster? The Hulkster. Mm, I think Shark. that's my movie, Cruel Jaws, though. Okay, well, maybe they've... Uh, they've those the, movies, uh, the names okay, kind yeah. of flip-flop a lot, mm-hmm. yeah? Depending on where it is and what Depending format. Depending on if it was the theatrical I'll have yeah, or, yeah. The yeah. or the DVD, the, the, the VHS VHS, release. come on, let's get real. So, yeah, I mean, and even today, if you go on, like, Tubi, you can do a search for Shark or Jaws, and you'll see this glut of quick, made for Mm -hmm. direct release films that imitate the original in varying degrees of success. I would be remiss if I didn't point out that there's also a Broadway show called the shark is broken about the uh, movie jaws. And when the shark prop was under repair and all the actors uh, were just kind of hanging out and killing time. There's also a documentary about the same subject. Was that the title of the documentary? I think so. Probably the shark is, so it's been pivoted into a Broadway show. The shark is working. The shark is still broken. Something like that. And Robert Shaw's son is playing Robert Shaw in this Broadway show. All right. So without further ado, let's jump into some knockoffs because I want to hear what everybody watched and what you thought about your movies. Uh, We'll start clockwise for me, Joey, you're up. All right, so I tried to identify three different strains of Jaws knockoffs. Some of them aren't, I think, true knockoffs. I'll get about get to that when I talk to them a little bit later. The first one I'm going to say is very much a knockoff. Uh, it was one of that first wave of knockoffs that Sean mentioned. 1978, Roger Corman uh, was uh, involved with this movie as a producer. Uh, it is Piranha. Oh, Piranha, the original Piranha. 1978, yeah, it spawned a... I spawned. Uh, <laughs> you also said the first wave. Uh, this one is a true knockoff, I think. It very much is kind of like Freshwater Jaws. Uh, Piranha has it, way more titties than Jaws, though. It does, and it. this is one of the movies that I watch. This is one of the first... I don't know if I... Qualify this as horror or not, but it's in the I vein. Would, it's yeah. and uh, it's one of the first you know grown up horror movies that I watched at way too early in age. Uh, so yeah, I do remember the titties. This one I remember scaring me way more than Jaws did because the little teeth. I was not all about that salt life. Yeah, uh, I grew up in the swamp, yeah. so I was all about the creek and the swamp. And the piranha seemed much more something that might actually happen yeah. to me. I'm uh, with you there. So. Uh, we we say that, and we we also have to realize that piranhas are only in like South America, right? Mm-hmm. But not these piranha. We have a thing in this world called invasive species, mm-hmm. where outside 
organisms get introduced into an environment and could that not happen well here? the there's a cousin of the piranha the paku uh yeah. which actually is invasive yeah. in several of the uh lake and river systems here in the southeast what uh it's a vegetarian fish it doesn't eat meat like the piranhas uh but it's worth noting also to my point earlier there's never been a documented piranha attack on a human being ever ever uh so that is a little bit Overplayed, I think. Is it but in this film, these aren't just piranhas. Is it because there was nobody there to document it? Perhaps. The piranhas ate all of them? Because they ate all of them. Perhaps, <laughs> perhaps. But in this film, true to Roger Corman style, these aren't just piranhas. These are genetically engineered radioactive piranhas, Sweet. which have been engineered uh, or were engineered to help us win the Vietnam War. Oh, uh, they were actually, <laughs> they were, and I had didn't pick up on this as the a real kid, but they, clearly it worked. Well, they were. It was a secret project to create piranha, which could live in the cold, cold water of the rivers in North Vietnam, uh, and it worked. And the movie, as you might imagine, ev- evolves uh, revolves around these piranha. I'm going to start saying piranha. I like it because that's how they pronounce it. Is in there the an enye? Uh, no, it's poor. I guess that's Portuguese. Okay. This is like a British, I mean, excuse me, a Brazilian yeah, they speak thing. Portuguese in Brazil. uh, the movie revolves around these experimental piranha who are uh, accidentally released by a woman who is looking for two missing teenagers who, of course, get eaten in the first scene. Again, very reminiscent of what happens, Travis mentioned yes. earlier yeah. with Jaws same structure um she picks up uh she kind of hooks up with this backwoods drunk along the way um and they end up inadvertently releasing these piranha into the the waters and i won't spoil it from there but they they do a lot of chomping uh, a lot of eating uh the movie itself is kind of a mixed bag uh the the way that they did the special effects, it's, it's you can't really have like with Jaws, you have a huge animatronic shark. Right. You can't really do that with piranhas because they're very small. You just have people school. under the water just kind of going like flicking waves and stuff. Yeah, right? chopping yeah. up the water, chumming the water to make it look red, and then people on top of the water are writhing in pain. Yeah, uh, and then you, you get a couple of underwater shots, and they're mostly just stock footage of piranhas with like a yeah. red. What I'm assuming is a red filter on the screen to make the the water look bloody. Like blood. Written by uh, John Sales, uh, who. Uh, Wrote a movie that we just discussed not too long ago in our baseball episode, oh, Eight okay. Men Out. Okay. Uh, directed. directed well. Is uh, he the one who did Brother from Another Planet? He did. Okay, he did. Thank you. Uh, directed by Joe Dante, uh, Gremlins, Gremlins 2, The Howling, which I oh, just wow. watched recently. Yeah. A great segment um, in the Twilight Zone movie. Yeah, and uh, another, uh, The Howling, also notable for another one of my very early in life exposure to titties. Nice. Uh, this movie actually references Jaws a couple of times. There's a, there's like a, uh, I, I can't remember exactly how this this happens, but there's a there's a framed picture of which is very clearly the animatronic shark from Jaws. So it is very much a, a knockoff. So and, on the ahead. on the grand scale of knockoffs, you know. Any originality factor? Are you saying it's a straight knockoff? Is it kind of a kind five of out of ten? It, it kind of does its own thing. It, 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 it's One distinction is that the great white in Jaws is a great white shark. These are 
souped up piranhas, genetically, mm-hmm. radioactively engineered piranhas. I think that I would definitely count this one as a knockoff just because it's very much an attempt to cash in on Jaws. Yep. It seeks to do for freshwater what Jaws did to saltwater. Salt it has its own kind of thing a little bit, but... It is what it is. They weren't trying to be salty about it. Hey. Mm. All right, moving right along. Todd's chomping at the bit. Let's hear what you got. Chomping at the bit. A good uh, segue there for yep. a film that uh, I am going to discuss from 1980 uh, called Alligator. So we got Jaws. Now we got Alligator, who also, I guess, would have Jaws as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, this film, interestingly, was also written by John Sayles uh, from Piranha. No um, shit. He eventually would be nominated for a couple of Oscars for his screenwriting. Um, and, uh, and and directed a lot of movies as well, and as a novelist, so he's actually a really good writer. But anyway, um, the uh, director of this is a guy named Louis Teague, and he did another uh, a Jaws-esque movie that for some reason didn't cross <laughs> my mind when we talked about this episode, but Cujo. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah, so he directed Cujo as well. The film stars Robert Forster, who uh, later was in Jackie Brown. Uh, oh, he, yeah. was, he was in Delta Force. Um, so really good actor. Um, and so, uh, this movie, the premise is that, uh, at the beginning of the film, a baby alligator that is, uh, bought as a pet, mm-hmm. but from a street vendor, uh, gets flushed down a toilet like that and, urban yep. legend. Yes. Ends up in a sewer, consumes radioactive material from a lab that's, uh, that they're dumping illegally their, uh, radioactive materials into the sewer and uh, 12 years later, fast forward, and now it's this mutated alligator that is stalking people from the subway of New York. This movie actually uh, is a, like a, a movie that the critics kind of liked. It had like 85% on Rotten Tomatoes, and so it's a well-regarded film. Hmm. Um, one reason I think it's well-regarded is because it's very self-aware of the fact that it is uh, ripping off Jaws, and so it makes a, a point of sort of... Uh, spoofing, uh, or not, sp- probably spoofing is the wrong word, but of uh, satirizing. Satirizing, yes. A lot okay. of the uh, the the familiar elements of those movies. Yeah. So Robert Forster plays a detective who gets in out of his depth because initially they think they're hunting a serial killer because all these mauled people start showing up. That must have been a really bad forensics team. Yeah, yes. bad detective. <laughs> right. You know, the, the jaw marks look like an alligator, but that couldn't be right. Yeah. Well, it be a serial killer. They do make quips to that effect. I can't yeah. remember a specific one, but there are little lines in there that the movie is aware, you know, that this is kind of silly. Uh, so what ends up happening, though, is Forrester, they, have to, they, inter- they introduce a love interest for him uh, who is an expert on alligators and reptilian critters who then helps him uh, investigate uh, this alligator. Uh, and it, it is kind of weird, because why is a cop trying to hunt down an alligator? But in any case. And and again, the movie's self-aware of that. Uh, he's, he's a renegade cop, though, too, because you have some of the same elements from Jaws. You have a, a character similar to the mayor, who in this case is the city commissioner, who uh, you know wants to keep all this quiet Perfect. because he has political aspirations and he doesn't want people to know that there's this uh, you know re- the, the, there's an election coming up and he doesn't want people to know that there's this uh, you know crazy uh, alligator. I think that's a major rampant. theme in Jaws. So. Yep. Yeah, and so uh, the, the movie plays up kind of this romance between the detective and uh, the woman. They kept ma- they kept keep making fun of Robert Forster's uh, receding hairline. 
so they're making it. I think they do that to make it clear that they understand that he's not like a typical leading man okay. who this beautiful woman. Uh, I think I think uh, the actress's name was Sue Lyon, I believe. All yeah. right, on the uh, big knockoff scale, what do you think? It is a knockoff, but it is aware that it is a knockoff, and it leans into it and kind of makes fun of itself okay. a little bit. And I think that's why critics kind of uh, liked it and why it's memorable. Travisito. Yes, sir. You're up. All right, so I'm going to talk about a movie that we've <clears throat> we've expounded upon at length on this show. Uh, it's a movie called Tremors <laughs> from 1990, and I'm doing my knockoffs in chronological order. Okay. Uh, so should be noticed that noted that Travis is a Tremors fanboy. Yeah, I am. Yeah, big time. It's a cult classic. Uh, it's about giant underground worms terrorizing a small desert town. It exhibits several influences from Jaws. Uh, and Dune. And what? And Dune. Dune. Yeah, <laughs> true, true. I didn't think about that. There's no spice. Three ways that Tremors is influenced by Jaws. One, hidden threat. Much like Jaws, Tremors relies on the concept of a hidden and relentless threat. In Jaws, the audience is kept in suspense as the great white shark remains largely unseen until well into the film. Similarly, in Tremors, the underground graboids are concealed beneath the desert sands and their full form is not revealed until later in the movie. This hidden threat creates tension and fear as the characters grapple with an unknown danger. Next, Small Town Under Siege. Both films are set in an isolated, tight-knit community that come under siege from a monstrous threat. In Jaws, it's the coastal town of Amity, as we know. Amity Island, I should say. While Tremors, it's the desert town of Perfection, Nevada. Uh, in both cases, the townsfolk are initially unaware of the true nature of the threat and must band together to defend themselves against a deadly creature. The isolation of these communities intensifies the sense of vulnerability and the need for resourcefulness. Number three, character dynamics and humor. Tremors takes a page from Jaws in terms of character dynamics and humor. Both films are a group of main characters who must work together to overcome the threat. In Jaws, the camaraderie and interactions among Chief Brody, Quint, and Hooper provide moments of humor and tension relief amidst the danger. Much like you were talking about with the uh, first scene on the boat where they all get drunk and kind of show them true selves, show their true selves to each other. Um, Tremors similarly, similarly features a group of characters with distinct personalities, including Val and Earl, and they use humor as a coping mechanism. Uh, the witty banter and camaraderie amongst the characters in Tremors serve to balance the horror elements with humor, much like Jaws. So, refresh my memory. In Tremors, oh, those wor worms, obviously, the graboids, aren't real. Is there an explanation for like why they're there? Are they alien? Is there some sort of... Like well, they don't explain that in the first film. There's no... Uh, there's, there's a quote where the scientist the Hooper character, uh, she says, there's nothing, there's no evidence of this in the fossil record. Okay. So they don't explain where they came from in the first movie. In conclusion, <laughs> Tremors was influenced by Jaws through its use of a hidden menacing threat, the portrayal of a small town under siege, 
and the incorporation of humor and camaraderie among the characters. These elements help Tremors pay homage to the classic creature feature while carving out its own unique place in the genre. All right, well, then I'm going to jump in with mine. Then we'll do an intermission, and we'll finish up with all of our other stuff. 1977's Tentacles. <laughs> this was directed by... Sean loves tentacle porn. Yes. Uh, it was directed by Ovidio Asonitis. Is this a Spanish Asonitis? name? It's Italian. It's Ovidio Asenitis. There's a lot of Italian loafers in this movie. This is, a, in true Italian fashion, a lot of uh, American actors just cashing in on a paycheck. You got John Houston. Nice. You have Shelley Winters. Uh, Claude Aikens. Uh, Rio Bravo. You would know him. And, yeah. uh, I know him from uh, the Twilight Zone episode, The go. Monsters Are Due on Maple Street. Yep. Henry, nice. Henry Fonda. And uh, Bo Hopkins from American Graffiti. You've got a lot of, uh, or a couple of, um, Hollywood royalty yeah, yeah. there. So there's a shaky premise. Uh, Peter Fonda, I mean, uh, Henry Fonda, not Peter Fonda, Jesus. Different, different. Henry Fonda owns a company that's making some sort of tunnel under the water. And the company is using some sort of high frequency that's making the fish act crazy. It's a shaky premise at best. No, I get it. Yeah, so they're drilling a channel. But it's and... making but it's making the fish and underwater life crazy. Yeah. Naturally, this is going to piss off a giant octopus, and he's going to be an asshole. Uh, it starts out the film. He nabs a baby out of a out of a stroller. It's off camera, but it happens. Which you know, in Jaws, do you see a tentacle grabbing the baby. No, you don't even see it. Come on. So in Jaws fashion, you do have a relentless killer that doesn't care about the age of of the victim. Remind me the year. Uh, 77. So we're still doing practical effects. This, Tentacles are difficult to right. do practical effect wise. This film's noteworthy in that they spent nearly a million dollars on a uh, artificial octopus prop for okay. the film. The minute they put it in the water, it sank straight to the bottom of the oh, ocean. Wow. And they had to get it out. But Bo Hopkins plays kind of your Richard Dreyfus character. He's the mm-hmm. expert, the underwater expert. Um, a tedious film in that uh, Shelley Winters, her part is extraneous. She spends the entire movie getting these two boys ready for a, a yacht race. And I say yacht, it's mm. like just like a little catamaran kind of sailboat kind Sounds of thing. Like grooming. And yeah, right. <laughs> but it's setting up a big scene where there's like hundreds of boys out in the ocean and they've got like their little sailboats and the, the octopus is coming for mm-hmm. them. <laughs> Typical underwater beast that you know is a relentless killer doesn't care there are orcas that come to the rescue they attack the uh octopus at the end of the film i don't know thank why. god yeah, well well bo well bo's like a, an orca trainer at the sea world thing and he puts them in this giant like submarine type tank mm-hmm. <laughs> and hauls them behind a boat they get out they attacked they attack the octopus and there's like imagine if you will an oven mitt painted yes. to look like an orca <laughs> yes. going uh uh, uh, poking a, a giant like squishy <laughs> octopus i'll watch that all day that's the movie yes yeah. so uh it, cheese factor is pretty high in this one uh there are uh, about three or four similarities to the structure of jaws so on the ripoff knockoff scale i consider this one to be pretty high yeah. okay. it's kind of interesting and it just occurred to me as a kid and probably well to an older age than it should have been 
I always thought octopus were much octopi, I guess, yeah. were much bigger than they actually are because of movies like Tentacles, right. where they're big, giant, and they're actually very small. Well, and I did, and I remember you know going somewhere and seeing. Well, wow, think about some like tiny. the old the old etchings from like the seafaring days of like the giant octopus enveloping the Kraken right. ship. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of mythology and 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 legend that kind of goes into that. I'm going to pitch a creature feature here: the octopossum. Oh, nice. Ooh. The tail. The tail yeah, of the tentacles. There's eight tails. Yeah, I like it. One last thought about this. Uh, the, the, the company that uh, that Henry Fonda owns, the movie just glosses over the fact at the end of the movie there's no repercussions for his company. There's no fines. There's they were no, fine. They had insurance. <laughs> there's no comeuppance at all. Uh, there's that no, sounds like pretty realistic. There's yeah. there's no follow up on Shelley Winters in the movie. Like she gets the kids <laughs> to the thing, and one of the she kids, probably ran away. One of the kids dies, and it's her neighbor's kid, and that's it. We don't see her anymore. Yeah, not, none of the subplots have any resolution at all. Gotcha. <laughs> Structurally, it's a shitty, shitty script. That's our first round. We'll come back from the break with our remaining two rounds. Yeah, we're going to have to go quicker in the second half. <laughs> well, yeah, we've kind of dilly-dallied, but we know what we're doing now. Yeah. Um, so before we do, let's uh, say... Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby and get ourselves some Swedish fish. Yes. Yum, yum. It's time for a tasty and refreshing snack. We promise to satisfy your hunger, your thirst, your sweet tooth. So visit our refreshment center now. Let's go. And we're back. Hey, thanks. <laughs> Welcome back from the break. Three out of four of us peed in the yard. Yep. I have a bladder of steel. <laughs> That's got to be painful at some times, <laughs> though. Like, when you're trying to sleep. You were probably just showing off. I bet you'll be... He's going to pee himself on the, the way home. It's just <laughs> yeah. a safe face. I, I, I do pee outside, I think, yeah. more more than the average person. Yeah, I but. think it's a, a right of manhood oh, because yeah. we can pee standing up. And sure, you might get arrested for indecent exposure, but... If that's what you got to do. If you can't piss in your own yard, you then I mean. We're going to dive back in. We're going into round two. Uh-huh. Joey, you're up. This one is going to score pretty low on your knockoff scale, I think. I, one might argue that this isn't actually a knockoff, except that I think in the post-Jaws world, because my feelings about the movie notwithstanding, it is iconic, and it is the shark movie, and it is arguably the first blockbuster so the influence of Jaws is impossible to deny. Any sh- movie that features a shark in the post-Jaws world owes some sort of debt to Jaws. So 2003's Open Water Oh, okay. is... I thought you were going to go Sharknado. N- n- well, <laughs> hold. Okay. <laughs> hold for applause. Uh, hold yes. your tongue. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so uh, Open Water is not necessarily a shark, uh, excuse me, a Jaws knockoff, except that it is very much in the influence of Jaws. Because as, as I said earlier, it's, yeah. it's impossible to make a shark movie without having Jaws in the back of your mind, right? Uh, Open Water, 2003, directed by Chris Kentis, who mm. did a few other things, but nothing that you've heard of. This is actually a very good film. Uh, have you guys seen it? Never. 
Uh, it's uh, it, the plot concern. It's very, very loosely based on a real on a real event. Um, but the the plot concerns a husband and wife who kind of go off on their own during a group scuba diving excursion. Sweet. And then uh, there's a home alone moment where they miscount when everybody gets back yes. on the boat and they get left behind. Basically, Kevin. Most of the movie after the 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 first act setup is just the two these two people floating in the open water. And their relationship, which is already under some stress, starts to kind of unravel a little bit. They start bickering. They're out there for, I don't know how long, several days, but hunger starts to, to, to uh, be a factor. Work. You know, they're griping at each other. All the, you know, frayed ends of sanity in their relationship kind of get, get exposed. Uh, and they just very slowly start noticing that there are sharks in the water. Uh, and they just kind of start picking away at them. One I won't by give one. T- yeah, I won't give too much away here. Because you um, want people to watch it. Yeah, it is a very good movie. Don't necessarily expect a happy ending, I guess I would say. The sharks are almost like a metaphor here for like all the outside forces conspiring to you know do, do damage upon their relationship. You don't see the sharks very often in this one. Uh, it's very subtle, very low-key. And again, I wouldn't call it necessarily a knockoff of Jaws, but any shark movie obviously has Jaws as a you know a touchstone. Mm-hmm. Uh, this one I think is a very good film, and it does a disservice to call it a knockoff. I think. Okay, fair, fair enough. Over to Todd. Toddly. All right. <clears throat> so my next one is a 1984 Ozploitation film. So we got the Aussies represented here with a oh. film called. Razorback. So Razorback uh, refers to a wild boar. A that's wild the, boar. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. Yep. Yeah. And my so that's pig. what the Aussies apparently call a wild boar. Is a, I'm looking um, for my pig. Uh, yeah. So, as they do in Arkansas as well. Yeah. So and this film Walhalla. was. Yeah. This film was directed by a guy named uh, Russell Mulcahy, who two years later would direct uh, Highlander with Sean Connery. Um, oh. Yep. And uh, it was written by a guy <laughs> and Everett Christopher Dur- Lambert, Lambert, <laughs> and, and uh, the and the uh, the fabulous Freebirds mm-hmm. from WCW fame are in Highlander oh, as well. Right, right, yep. <laughs> I'm sure glad Michael PSAs. On topic. Please, yeah. <laughs> uh, written by a guy named Everett DeRoach, who uh, wrote a movie that I like a lot called uh, Road Games with Stacy Keach. If you've ever seen that, if you haven't, I have not. It. Love Stacy Keach. Yep. Um, so in any case, uh, Razorback. Wild boar movie. So, uh, thinking about uh, the Jaws elements that might be uh, similar. So, you do have a Captain Ahab element. At the beginning of the movie, uh, this grandfather is babysitting his grandson. And this wild boar uh, destroys the house and drags off the grandson and presumably eats him uh, while the grandfather is babysitting for him. And then nobody believes the grandfather that this is what happened because the kid disappears without a trace. So he gets put on, put on trial for um, murdering his grandson, essentially, but is... Didn't the same thing happen with a dingo in Australia? And there was a the famous dingo case ate my baby. baby. Yeah, yeah. Dingo yeah. ate my baby, yep. Similar. Although they exonerated that woman, like, decades later, a dingo really did eat her baby. 
Right. Well, yeah. in this case, Australia is similarly well, uh, man, a, a that's razor where the platypus is from. <laughs> similarly, a Razorback really did eat this uh, guy's grandson. Uh, he was acquitted because of a lack of evidence, but the townsfolk, uh, a lot, most of them didn't believe him. Anyway, so he becomes You're kidding me. The obs- small yeah. town that was under siege, you didn't Correct. buy into the. Correct. Yeah. Okay. So he becomes obsessed, a obsessed Razorback hunter. Meanwhile, it's a real quint. Yeah. Yes. So meanwhile, out in New York City. Uh, these landlubbers, uh, this woman who is a environmentalist and who hates hunters and is trying to set out to expose them. She's the hooper. Something like that, yes. She goes out to the outback to interview these hunters and basically embarrass them, I guess, or expose what they're doing. And then Paul Hogan puts her in her place. (laughs) We're, we're not there yet. Okay. <laughs> Raw movie. Um, That's not a Razorback. <laughs> so, so, so anyway, there are these Aussies that have a factory where they're killing uh, animals to make dog food, pet food, essentially. That's what she's there to expose. Um, anyway, I, I don't want to belabor the plot too much. Eventually, though, she gets killed by one of these Razorbacks. Um, and then roll credits. And the right? crowd goes wild. <laughs> Yay! Her boyfriend comes out to Australia to find out what happened. He flies out there to find out what happened and investigate, okay? He teams up with the Captain Ahab guy, essentially, to find this Razorback. Okay. Okay. So, and in the meantime, you have these kind of crazy townies who are trying to put the kibosh on their investigation because they have capitalist interests just like they want to deny that there's really this big giant Razorback because it's that Fourth exists. of July. Yep. Well, I can't remember if there was any particular. <laughs> yeah, but but there was capitalist interest of some kind for denying that this yep. thing actually existed. So that was one element that was uh, very similar to, of course, the Jaws uh, setup. Um, and so yeah, so that's that's basically the premise of the movie. They spent the movie hunting. Oh, another thing that I don't know that we've mentioned about Jaws movies that's common is that they save showing you the critter for much of the movie. Yeah. They, so they, so we see a bunch act, of kills. You yeah, don't see yep. it. You see a bunch of kills, but you mm-hmm. don't actually see right. uh, the creature until much later. And so this one, similarly, we don't see him or the uh, Razorback until the very end, towards the end. And the practical effects are hokey, but also kind of cool. Um, so I really liked it. And I'll tell you the other thing about this movie is the cinematography is absolutely fantastic. Uh, Quentin Tarantino and um, I believe Steven Spielberg are both fans of this Okay, movie. right on. Travis, you're uh, up next. All right, so um, this is the moment you've all been waiting for, I'm sure. Okay. I'm going to compare Jaws to one of the classic erotic thrillers of the I 1990s. was curious about this. Go ahead. Basic Instinct. Please. So Basic Instinct is a neo-noir thriller. I thought you were joking about uh, this. That thriller. explores themes of murder, seduction, and psychological intrigue. While it is a different genre and narrative from Jaws, there are some indirect influences uh, in the way that they approach certain aspects of storytelling and filmmaking. Here are three ways that Jaws in this essay, I will Basic Instinct. One, sensationalism and controversy. Both Jaws and Basic Instinct generated considerable controversy upon their release. 
Jaws was notorious for creating a widespread fear of sharks and even leading to some some shark culling. Culling? I guess they were killing off sharks? Yep. Uh, despite being a fictional story. Basic Instinct also courted controversy due to his explicit sexual content and themes of bisexuality, making it a topic of debate and discussion upon its release. In this sense, both films use controversy to generate interest and attention. Number two. <laughs> Suspense <Click>. and thrills. <laughs> Jaws is known for its masterful use of suspense and tension-building techniques. While Basic Instinct is primarily a psychological thriller, it shares a commonality with suspense elements, keeping viewers guessing about the true nature of the characters and their motivations, just as Jaws had audiences on the edge of their seats when the shark attacks, Basic Instinct keeps viewers on the edge of its plot twist. <laughs> and psychological games. Finally, iconic characters. Jaws introduced iconic characters like Chief Brody, Quint, and Hooper, who have become ingrained in popular culture. Similarly, Basic Instinct gave rise to memorable characters, most notably Catherine Tramell, Tramell played by Sharon Stone, uh, Catherine's enigmatic and seductive personality made her the memorable character in the realm of erotic thrillers. While the character in both films serve different purposes and come from different genres, their impact on the audience's perception of the films is significant. Number four, the score. When she's reaching for the ice pick in Basic Instinct, it's almost a da 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 -da. Da -da. So, uh, in conclusion, Basic Instincts may not share direct narrative or thematic similarities with Jaws, but it has been seen to be influenced by Jaws in terms of generating controversy and publicity, using suspense to engage the audience, and creating iconic characters that leave a lasting impression on viewers. I was really waiting for you to point out that much like we've talked about Jaws, you don't actually see the creature. You don't get a clear glimpse of it. Much like Sharon Stone's vagina. <laughs> uh, it, yeah. It's slightly blurred. Yeah. yeah. You can almost sort of, you know, Almost there. What are you going to do? Flash. Arrest me for smoking? Yeah. <laughs> My next film is, is The Deep from 1977. Uh, directed by Peter Yates, based on another... Uh, Benchley novel, so obviously there's your Peter Benchley, the yeah. the guy who wrote Jaws. Correct. Uh, it stars Robert Shaw. No shit. In this film, so another tie that binds. What's our year? Uh, Seventy-seven. Okay. It also has Jacqueline Bissett. So this was hot on the heels of Jaws. Yeah, right yeah. after. Uh, Nick Nolte, a very young wow. Nick Nolte, mm. uh, at Louis Gossett Jr. playing a Haitian. Okay. I can buy it. At least it wasn't Nick Nolte playing a Haitian. <laughs> and Eli Wallach. Oh, the wow. The good, the bad, and the ugly yeah. thing. The similarities are pretty loose in, in this, but there are enough to, to, to make it eligible for the episode. If you like diving, this is a good movie. You love diving, it's a good movie. There's an opening credit sequence with uh, Jacqueline Bissett diving, and she's wearing a white t-shirt. 
that was pretty scandalous at the time. Yeah. And even today, I was like, props. We got nipple action. Oh, yeah. Nice. Mad props to her for that. I'm a fan. So you've got these amateur divers off the coast of Bermuda. They find a relic, and then they eventually come in contact with Robert Shaw's character, who is... Uh, he's not a salty dog like he was in Jaws. He's more of an erudite man of the world who knows a thing or two about treasure. 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 And so they go on this big quest to go and find this uh, treasure trove that's in a relatively recent shipwreck, which is kind of weird. They have to figure out why. Why, why are these things in there? Beside the the gold that they find that has a certain amount of provenance, there's also a, a whole shit ton of these little ampules of morphine. Yes, oh, morphine. Yes, and naturally the uh, Haitian uh, Louis Gossett Jr. wants that morphine too. So there's a lot of backstabbing. So he can double make cross zombies. Well, there are there is a lot of voodoo that happens in this. There is a essentially a rape scene. Of Jacqueline Bissett that's not really a rape, but it's a voodoo ritual that's performed upon her. Yeah, not cool. That's very violating. Well, you know, when your girl gets a voodoo ritual performed upon her, what do you do the night after, you know, that that evening after you get her back safely back home? You do that juju. No, you put the moves on her, right? Yeah. If you're Nick Nolte, which is not good. That didn't play too well for me. Much like Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, Eli Wallet gets the short end of the stick. He was actually on this ship that was shipwrecked. And wants to go on the dive. And Robert Shaw's like, no, no, you stay back. So as a result, he double crosses the oh. whole group. I'm like, oh, another callback to Good, the Bad, yep. the Ugly. Great. Good job. There's a great amount of underwater photography. A shitload. Like I said, if you like diving, this is a great movie for you. Is there a monster? Sort of. There's a, a moray eel that is used to great effect in that it's discovered early in the film that it kind of hangs around the ship. And Nick Nolte uses that to his advantage and lures one of the Haitians into the clutches of the Mori Eel <laughs> so he can get away. Beyond that, though, there's not a ton of like direct similarity to the plot points of Jaws. It's just worth noting because it is a Peter Benchley story that also features Robert Shaw. That brings us to oh. Joey leading off the third round. Okay, so again, my, my third strain, if you will, of the Jaws knockoff uh, is the Sharknado sphere of Woo-hoo! influence. There are so many of these movies they made in the wake. Every year. Oh my God. Sharknado itself, that's probably around 20 years old now. Yeah. I don't know when the first one came out, but yeah. there are, I don't there's even. like seven of them. I lost count. Just Shark, there's like seven just Sharknado sequels, yeah. but then there's also Sharkano and Cocaine Shark and all, you know, all these things. I think that this genre reached its nadir with uh-huh. 2022's Sharks in the Corn. Sharks, is it like Children of the Corn? It is sharks? a spoof of, yes. you know, shark movies. Of How did they get in the corn? Because corn grows on land. Well, uh, it involves a druid cult. Uh, it's set in Kentucky, which makes is, sense. seems like the... Well, you know, Kentucky is corn country. And yeah, druid yeah. country. It, it didn't make a whole lot of sense because Kentucky, you know, is not synonymous with corn. Uh, but it's also very sure. much landlocked, which seems like an odd place to find sharks. But there are sharks. Maybe they got dropped there by a Sharknado, Joey. There, well, maybe. But actually, they were summoned there by a druid cult, uh, which has some sort of tie to Stonehenge, which doesn't even make any sense within the logic of the movie. Uh, they worship the sharks as this nature goddess kind of thing. 
Um, this one was directed by Tim Ritter, uh, whose filmography includes something called Zombarella's House of Horrors. Older brother of John. Horrors. Um, if that gives you any indication of this I guy's love it. filmography. It is exactly what it sounds like. It's an ultra-low-budget spoof about sharks in a cornfield. Um, there's a cult of shark worshippers. It's kind of more of a slasher than a Jaws knockoff, per se, mm-hmm. because okay. many of the kills do happen at the hands of the Jaws uh, of sharks in the corn, but most of them actually happen... Uh, by a sort of serial killer who uses like fossilized jaws, like shark jaws, to, to kill his victims. His no, to, to actually kill his victims. Oh, wow. um, the acting comes straight out of a porno. There's rubber sharks. There's very little attempt to make them look real. There's fake blood by the gallons. It is, in short, not the kind of movie you want to watch alone, which I did just this morning. Did you get scared? I did not get scared. <laughs> I did get bored. Okay. A few times. Okay. Uh, had I, I been watch watching it with you guys, I, I would have had a good time because it's that you know it's that kind of film. I just think that this genre of the the super self aware spoof has its limits, and right. this is where it meets its limit. There you go. Fair, lovely, Todd. All right, my final film um, is. Probably a perfect 10 on the Jaws ripoff scale. It is called Cruel Jaws. Cruel so Jaws. obviously it has Jaws right there in the title. I, it's also uh, known, I think, as perhaps Cruel Shark, because I think you pretty much described what the movie is. But also in some quarters, Jaws 5. Uh, <laughs> is, and so that, That's you know, only in, in some Russia. quarters. Well, so here's the thing about Italian genre cinema. Starting around the 70s, their producers were keeping a close eye on American cinema and whatever was popular there, they were funding their directors to come up with their own versions slash ripoffs of those movies. And there was probably some legal loopholes where they could, like, call it a sequel. Well, and I'm, I'm about to get to that uh, loophole thing because there's some interesting things that make this the perfect 10 ripoff. So, first of all, Cruel Jaws, uh, directed by this guy Bruno Mattai, uh, and so none of you should know who he is, because we don't talk fact, about yeah. Bruno. Yeah, <laughs> he. Uh, but uh, this will tell you something about his aesthetic. Uh, he was a close collaborator with a guy named Claudio Fergasso, who is the famous director, not infamous, I should say, director of Troll Two. Okay. Oh, um, who and Fergasso uh, wrote the screenplay for a lot of uh, Matai's movies. So if that gives you a sense of what this guy was dealing with, but he made a, Matai made a series of Nam exploitation slash Rambo <laughs> ripoffs in the uh, late eighties, early nineties. Nam exploitation. This is a genre. Vietnam. Vietnam yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, Strike Commando, uh, Born to Fight, etc. These movies are all terrible, and they are all a hoot and fun to watch. In any case, so Bruno Mattai is essentially a hired gun for a lot of these producers to make their rip-off American versions of movies, and so he does Cruel Jaws, which came out in uh, 1995. This movie is just so ridiculous. Um, you mentioned Hulk Hogan. It is not actually Hulk Hogan. It is an actor named Richard Dew who looks like Hulk Hogan shrank in the uh, who looks like Hulk Hogan shrank in the uh, dryer. 
Basically, he has Hulk like a Hogan's. Dink? Yeah, he looks like he's Hulk Hogan with he's got the you know the blonde balding uh, shoulder length hair. Yeah, the blonde handlebar mustache. Okay, uh, so he's ve- very clearly trying to look like Hulk Hogan. Very clearly, he is I not thought it Hulk was him. Hogan. Okay. No, when you see him, he is not Hulk Hogan's size. He's like five foot eight, maybe. Um, tall. So, yeah. so he's tall. Okay, yeah. he's real tall. He can ride that slide. Yeah, <laughs> and maybe this is why the guy got the job. I don't know. He very though clearly was because the mid '90s was when Hogan was trying to do his you know acting thing, the nanny, etc. So uh, you had this Richard Do guy who sets the tone by looking like Hulk Hogan, and I'm sure everyone that sees the movie thinks that. So Cruel Jaws, the reason why it's sort of this perfect ripoff is because somehow, and I don't know the legality of it, you sort of indicated loopholes. They literally use unauthorized footage from the first four Jaws movies as part of this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so pretty much any time you see an animatronic shark, it is footage from one of the four Jaws movies. It's actual Jaws. It's actual Jaws footage. And, you know, of course, as I mentioned before, they use Jaws 5 in some locales in Italy to market the movie. Uh, the Italians are famous for this. Zombie 2, which was, of course, actually the first zombie, which they were trying to market off of Dawn of the Dead, which they called Zombie over there. Anyway, so this is, the, this is kind of an Italian genre cinema thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have, uh, so they're literally using scenes from Jaws as part of this movie. The dialogue in this thing is so ridiculous, but you have a Richard Dreyfus type who's an expert on sharks. Um, in this movie, uh, he the says a lot. Nerd. Yeah, the science nerd. Uh, he's actually a PhD, PhD student, I think. He says a lot of things, though, that sound scientifically questionable. <laughs> uh, but uh, uh, in any case, uh, and then the ending of this movie, and here's the part that I found extra hilarious. They actually rip off a movie that I watched earlier in the week that's a terrible movie called Blood Deep. They ripped off the ending of that movie, including they used the same footage from that movie where they... Uh, they lure the shark underwater, tie dynamite to this underwater structure, and then blow the shark up. And they use the same footage from Blood Deep where the shark separates. Yep, yep, yep. Um, and it's like, wow, you just ripped off the ending of a absolutely terrible movie. And then all the guys on the boat high-five each other, even though the, the shark is underwater. So how do they know they actually killed him anyway? All the blood. Uh, yeah. Clearly. Well, and, and when the shark separates, there's no blood. It separates. It's clearly like a pe- paper mache shark or something. Anyway, so uh, this movie though, uh, I could go on and on about the terrible dialogue and stuff. It's definitely worth a watch if you are a mystery science theater buff. Okay. Don't watch it alone though. Watch it with friends who because have you might get scared. Uh, <laughs> that and also um, for uh, you guys, you can quip with one another. Nice. I kept looking over as I was watching this by myself, wishing someone was there for me to make a quip <laughs> to. Beautiful. Um, you need a, a volleyball that you yeah, draw. A I needed face a off. Wilson. I needed a Wilson for this. Yeah, but anyway, this is so for me. This is a perfect ten on the ripoff jaw scale because it literally bleeds into illegality. Ble- like, tr- does everything yeah. it can to try to. Re- I looked in to try to figure out like how it was able to get away with. I couldn't figure it out, but there must be some loopholes. Or yeah, something it was the seventies, yeah. and the Italian film industry was developing uh, later than the U.S. film industry, and there was not a bunch of lawyers working on international copyright law, and they were like, well, we can just do this. 
And if they sue us, hopefully we'll make enough money to pay it off. Well, this actually came out in 95, though, so that explains some oh, of the... Oh, shit. Okay. Yeah, so I don't know. I mean, maybe, but maybe the same... Well, that blows my entire loophole I don't theory know. out of the water. Maybe they were just sampling it, well, like I, hip-hop yeah. records. What I wonder, though, is... It was is a real if, girl talk situation. <laughs> I wonder, though, if maybe... Oh, oh, one other thing that I have to point out. This is important. Towards the end of the movie, there's a scene where the heroes are going off to sea to blow the shark up, and a very familiar-sounding... Uh, theme song plays, but not the one you're thinking of. Superman. They use the Star Wars theme song, the first bars of it, and then they change it a little bit. They sampled it. Yeah, they sampled it, quote unquote. But it's a mashup. Travis, go. All right, so my number three is Lake Placid. Lake Placid from 1999, one of the best years in cinema. It's a horror comedy film about a giant crocodile terrorizing a lake in Maine. Indeed, it bears some influence from the classic thriller Jaws. Here are three ways in which Lake Placid was influenced by Jaws. One, creature as a central threat. Just like Jaws, Lake Placid centers around a monstrous creature as the central threat to the characters. In Jaws, it's a great white shark, obviously, while in Lake Placid, it's a massive man-eating crocodile. Both films build suspense and tension by keeping the creature hidden for much of the movie, revealing it gradually to heighten the sense of danger. Number two, small town in peril. Both films take place in a relatively isolated small town where the local authorities are initially skeptical or unprepared to deal with the threat. In Jaws, the action unfolds on Amity Island, a coastal resort town, and the mayor is reluctant to close the beaches. In Lake Placid, the story occurs in a remote, tranquil lakeside community, and local authorities are initially incredulous about the existence of a giant crocodile. The struggle to convince the town's leadership to take the threat seriously is a common thread between both films. Number three, tension and dark humor. While Jaws is primarily a suspenseful thriller, it also incorporates moments of dark humor, especially through the interactions between the main characters. Similarly, Lake Placid blends horror elements with a healthy dose of dark comedy. The characters in Lake Placid often use humor as a coping mechanism in the face of danger, and their witty banter adds comedic elements to the film's otherwise terrifying premise. The blending of genres with a balance of tension and humor is a hallmark of both movies. In conclusion, <laughs> Lake Placid was influenced by Jaws in several ways, including the use of a menacing creature as the primary threat the small town setting facing an unexpected danger and the combination of tensions and dark humor to engage the audience. These elements helped Lake Placid pay homage to the classic Jaws while creating its unique spin on the creature feature genre. Wow. It seems like the last episode or maybe a couple episodes back, uh, you had no notes at all. And then you were like the complete opposite this time. Mm -hmm. Very thorough. Very impressive. Well, thank you, sir. Yeah, I've seen it. I've seen this film, and the one thing that I remember about it is Rose. Betty White? Uh, yeah, is Rose from the Golden yes. Girls. Betty White feeding right. the crocodile. Yeah, at the right? very end. Yeah. That's the final scene of the movie. She 
She's the the last little bit of comedic relief. Yeah, she was <laughs> the one that was funding the whole endeavor. Yep. All right, Travis. You ready to sing? What am I going to sing? I'm talking about Orca from 1977. It doesn't have to be like this. Killer whales. Killer whales. <laughs> Orca, 1977, directed by Michael Anderson of Logan's Run fame. Oh, wow. Starring Richard Harris. Yeah. Charlotte Rampling. Will Sampson, a.k.a. Chief from One Flew Over the Cuckoo's yeah. Nest. Filled at the Oregon State Mental Institution. And Bo Derrick. Bo Derrick. She's a 10. She's a perfect 10. Music by Ennio Morricone. Ennio Morricone. So... It, this movie has provenance, yet it sucks to high hell. What you have is a Captain, Captain Ahab-type character in Richard Harris. Mm-hmm. He gets this bloodlust. I'm going to kill a fucking orca. Mm-hmm. And he means to kill the male, but accidentally kills the female. And the male becomes this bloodlust, vengeance-filled killing machine. And he's going to go after him. Primarily shot in Labrador, the film has some problems. And anybody who saw Free Willy as a kid mm-hmm. knows that... <laughs> oh, different Free Willy. Sorry, I was thinking of a <laughs> okay. different movie. The Bill Clinton administration. Yes. Orcas in the wild have a straight-up dorsal fin. Mm-hmm. Orcas in captivity, it flops over. Yeah, like a dog that's uh, upset. So anytime... Maybe in captivity, they're just nervous. That it scientists really don't have an explanation for it other than maybe they just don't need it as much. But nervous of yeah. no, I think it's that they're sad. It's performance anxiety. I, it's a, we, it's we all suffer frown. from it. I got you, Todd. It's 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 yeah. You know. Sorry, it's never. Happened it's called a whiskey that. fin. A whiskey fin. Thank you. <laughs> so they Swear alter. God, baby, so the film alter, the film alternates shots between uh, uh, like Sea World type shots and uh, in the wild shots, and it's like the fins like up down up down. So that's annoying. But it was also shot between Labrador and Malta, mm-hmm. which are completely different <laughs> environments, completely different dogs. So the entire film centers around the fact that you've got Charlotte Rampling, who is playing the Richard Dreyfus type character. She's the, the expert. Hooper. She's the expert on orcas. Richard Harris, of course, kind of is almost like a Quint character, but Quint had much more respect for the shark, I think. Whereas Harris was just like, I'm going to kill it. Boy, he really regretted that decision because this fucking orca chased them everywhere. Speaking of, in recent Current events in news. Killer whales are attacking fishing ships, right? Have you guys seen this in the news? Mm -hmm. Orcas are systematically and seemingly like, uh, as a team, attacking human boats. This is that movie. Pretty much, yeah. They're smarter than we think, you guys. And that's even brought up in the film. Uh, Rampling puts it in... in, uh, Harris's head that you know the, the the orcas have a higher intelligence and so he ascribes this whole scenario that you know there, there's this vengeful orca that can be reasoned with somehow okay and it's furthered by the will series of squeaks and squeals right and it's furthered by will Sampson who plays your stereotypical indigenous person 
so he's ascribing this really deep meaning to what's been done to wrong this whale and (laughs) Harris kind of buys into this ultimately it culminates in the orca picking off every single person throughout the film except for Harris and Rampling as he chases them further and further up north into the ice shelf and it's essentially a dead end and it's the most ridiculous ending which culminates in Charlotte Rampling surviving and getting rescued by, you know, the Coast Guard or the Canadian version thereof. Do you, do you pull for the orca in this Absolutely. film? Absolutely. I was going to say, it sounds Absolutely. like... Absolutely. Yeah. The orca is the hero in this movie, which is the switcheroo that you... that On the whole Jaws the knockoff. He is the total hero total because... Because he... His wife was taken from him. There is even a fucking orca funeral in this movie. Does he have a specific set of skills? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I eat people. So besides the salty dog and the scientist, you can't call the orca the killing machine because the orca is ascribed a certain amount of uh, intelligence and, yeah. and as conscience. Are, as are the, the sharks in the sequels of... of... Jaws, but they're still very much played as the uh, as the villains. Yeah, there are some ridiculous elements in this. The orca is actually pushing around like small icebergs in this final scene, where he's like pushing the iceberg to crash well, in sweet. to where. Uh, yeah, it's 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 silly. I would recommend watching it. It's kind of fun in a goofy, stupid kind of way. On How the, do you know your description it? of this movie made me think that it's probably a much better film than Jaws. Oh, I don't think so. I don't think so. Because it really does lag and drag quite a bit. Um, And it's kind of predictable. The meaning that the people on shore ascribe to what's going on with the orcas is completely disassembled throughout the film by the orca itself. The orca is like, I'm just a fucking orca. Orca, yeah. So, there we go. We've got a lot of knockoffs. I think we did it. They come in many flavors. They come in many varieties. All right, so we're going to wrap up. I, I th- let, let, let the listener decide what they want about these knockoffs, but I think this is fun. Uh, next week, we're going to attack uh, Gremlins. So we'll be back next week with yet another knockoff-themed episode for spooky season. Yes. Uh, before we go, let's go around the room. Anybody got plugs? Uh, yeah, I want to plug the new Netflix Wes Anderson movie, the Wonderful Life of Charlie Sugar or something it's like that. It's 41 minutes long. Uh, it's a Just, short film. I saw this last night. You uh, watched it? Yeah. And what did you think? It's great. I it's thought it a, was uh, incredible. It's uh, the the way that it's made, it's basically the, the entire text of the Roald Dahl, Dahl yeah. short story. And it's instead of an audiobook version of the story, it's mm-hmm. like a video book version yes. of the story, very much in Wes Anderson's visual style. Yes. It's, it's great. It it's, stars Benedict Cumbersnatch. Mm-hmm. Yes. Benedict Cucumbersnatch. Gotcha. Um, I loved it the way that Wes Anderson loves vintage aesthetics. Nice. Lovely. Uh, Todd, you got anything to plug it? There is a movie that I from the 70s that I discovered uh, in the Criterion Collection's high school horror uh, collection that I thought was really interesting called Massacre at Central High. And I never heard of this movie, and uh, it kind of threw me for a loop. It was not what I was expecting at all, but it was very satirical, It was, uh, but also very graphic and violent, like you would probably expect from the 70s. But it was kind of like a um, metaphor for, for like, uh, you know, fascism. 
So, okay. So in other words, at the beginning of the movie, it's the order that you would expect where you have the athletes and the, and the you know, rich kids who are the bullies. But then there's a certain point in the movie where the quote-unquote good guys get the upper hand and take control. And then, and then they become, for but then they become shitheads. But they, they become shitheads. Power corrupts. And, yep. It sounds like the Sanford uh, prison experiment. Yeah. yeah something yeah. like that. Yeah. But it's a very interesting... It's not perfect, but it's a very interesting movie. I would uh, recommend people check Joey, it out. Joey, plugs? Uh, just got a royalty check today. Awesome. Uh, for oh. uh, $14. Nice. <laughs> which, which book? Uh, my which... short story collection, I have always been here before. Nice. So Very I'll plug good. that one. And uh, there's also an anthology. I don't have a story in this one, but I did edit it. Uh, and it is available from Malarkey Books. And it is It Came from the Swamp. And it is a oh, cryptid-themed yeah. anthology. Sweet. That's Malarkey. Uh, my plugs. You've got to watch Changeling. I'm not going to watch it. you got to watch it. I don't have Oh, to. with uh, George C. Scott? No, the Apple TV series with Lakeith uh, Stanfield. Okay. It's good. Give it three episodes. You think you know what it's about, but you really don't. Uh, the other is, it talk to me. Talk to me is amazing. And apparently, really movie. right now, it costs $20 to rent on whatever streaming service. But let me tell you right now. It is worth it. Get four, it get four it. friends together yes. and yeah. watch it together five bucks. because it will be even... So worth it. It's, it's the best horror movie of 2023. Hands down. Yeah. So do yourself a favor and check that out. That's it for us today. Uh, please follow us on all of our social medias. It's... Cinema Chop Shop. Except for uh, YouTube. It's, where it's Cinema Chop Shop Podcast. Absolutely. Like us, subscribe, rate us, review us, all that good shit. Please like us. And we will be back next week with more knockoff shit. And in the meantime, please remember to watch, watch Chop, Chop Retrofit. Retro 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 Hey man, knock it off. <laughs>